Our world is marked by the unknown, despair, failure, and brokenness. But that isn't the end of our story. Into this brokenness, God has woven a thread of hope. This thread winds through the scriptures, through history, and through our very lives, leading us to Jesus. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of the unknown. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of despair. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of failure. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of brokenness. In Him, we have a reason to hope, a living hope, a hope that does not disappoint. In Jesus, we have morning. I timed that better than first service. First service, there was a long pause. I had to get all the way up here, so yes. Oh, no. How do you guys like the outfit, huh? I just, uh, I just woke up this morning. I, got, I stood in my closet and just prayed and asked God for inspiration, and he started speaking to me about patterns, and this is where I ended up, so pretty happy with it. Uh, I'm, in, I'm looking forward to this morning. Uh, there's a, a really uh, great kind of depth we can get into here. And I'm just going to start by um, asking you, if, excuse me, if you've ever broken a dish. Ever done that? Yeah. That feeling when that thing hits the ground, right? <laughs> you know, in our house, we have our boys often load the dishwasher. It's one of my favorite seasons of life as a dad where I get to sit there and watch my kids work in the kitchen, right? But they're not very gentle as they load the dishes. And so oftentimes, after a few weeks, even with new dishes, there's these chips that start to come around the bowls and the plates. And eventually one will just crack and I'll toss it in the garbage, right? And, and it reminded me, as we get into this hope in the face of brokenness, of a, a Japanese practice called kintsugi, which is, and here's a, a picture of that, um, what they do when they take broken pieces of ceramic and they repair them. And instead of just tossing them away. And the people who do this, there's sort of a philosophy behind it. And, and I, I listened to some, some of those guys talk, and they said things like, this idea of fixing broken things comes from the idea that we can find beauty in broken things or old things. Another statement was this, a repaired dish is a piece of art, but the beauty of the dish is less important than the effect it has on the one who looks at the dish. It's like pretty interesting, right? Kintsugi gives a dish a new life. And I couldn't help but think of that as we dive into this idea of brokenness. Where these people, they repair these dishes very carefully and perfectly and then cover each of the seams with gold. It's gold that's been ground to a, into a solution and they paint all the seams with gold. And the thing becomes, in many cases, if you look online at the pictures of these, more beautiful than even the original. This practice is the antithesis to uh, a single-use, throwaway culture that we have. Have you been to a landfill recently? There is so much stuff in there that's just discarded. As soon as it's broken, it just gets thrown away. It reminds me a lot of the way God looks at us and works in us as we experience brokenness in our own lives and the lives of people around us. Because our world tends to take broken people and throw them away. Broken relationships fall by the wayside. Things just tend to get discarded as we move forward with things. Pushing away some of the brokenness and difficulty and pain that we experience in our life. 
And today we're looking at a person in the lineage of Jesus named Zerubbabel, otherwise known as Zerobubble, however you want to say it. And the way that God used him to rebuild the temple that was lying in a state of ruin. You know, he is one person in the line of the lineage of Jesus, right? So that, this is this thread of hope, is this lineage. There's all these names that lead up to the person of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 12, it says, And after the deportation of Babylon, Jekinah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And, it, and it's just this long line, but there you see this person, Zerubbabel. And that's who we're going to be focused on and looking at today. And this is someone who was actually born in Babylon. He never knew life in Jerusalem. He never knew life where there was this amazing temple where you could go meet with God or any of that stuff. He was born in exile. He grew up as a boy in this, in this place only hearing stories about what it was like before from the people who were older. Sidebar on this, First Chronicles 3.19, he's represented as the son of Padiah, Shealtiel's brother. So in the lineage in Matthew, it says it's Shealtiel's son, but in this section of scripture, it says it's, he's the son of Padiah, Shealtiel's nephew. And as I dived into that, what came clear was that Shealtiel was actually childless. And as a result of either death or, or um, some other situation, he was adopted. Zerubbabel was adopted by Shealtiel. And he was either that or he was his leveret son, which means basically he was his obligation to take him in and give him an inheritance. So even within the lineage of Jesus, we see an adoption here. We see something that was broken, made whole again in this family. You see, the Lord had his eye on Zerubbabel since he was a small child. And even in Haggai, there was a, there's a prophecy about Zerubbabel by name. How would you feel to realize at some point in your childhood there was a prophecy in the Bible that had your name in it? Haggai 2.23 says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is a special person. So someone God is, is saying, I am doing something in your life, through your life. I'm telling a story, and I'm calling it out beforehand. So that as it happens, people recognize that I'm at work. See, that name is also mentioned in the book of Ezra, Zechariah, and later in the book of Nehemiah, which is the story of the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, right? Nehemiah helped to rebuild the wall. Before that, a bunch of people came to build the temple and the foundation. So this name is, is weaved through all these books. Well, we're going to look today at the book of Ezra. So if you've got a Bible, open up to the book of Ezra. And this recounts the rebuilding of the temple. And there's a narrative here. As I'm not going to read every scripture in this whole book. Don't be afraid. Okay? I'm going to hit a few key points, but there's a, a line that we get to look at as we go through this because the brokenness of the temple is a historical fact. But it's also a metaphor for the brokenness that we experience in life. And Zerubbabel's role in rebuilding the second temple speaks to us about God's plan for redemption and how that includes the brokenness in your life, the brokenness in my life. See, there was a narrative here that included 
the brokenness of the temple and the exile and all the things that were happening there. And so we can infer a lot of amazing stuff. And, and so before we, we dive into these scriptures, I want you to stop for a minute and bring to the forefront of your mind the brokenness in your own life. I know that can be a, a sobering thing to do, and sometimes these things have pain associated with them. We don't, we don't like to think about them, but I'm doing this for a reason. I want you to, to bring to the surface, bring to the forefront of your mind those things that have been destroyed, things that maybe are lying in ruins in your life. Because I believe that as you bring that before the Lord this morning, as we go through these scriptures, he is going to restore hope to you. You see, some of these things that we go through, maybe, maybe you still have some hope. Maybe you're still hanging on to that thread of hope for that area of brokenness that you're thinking about right now. Some, some of us, that hope kind of waxes and wanes, right? There's seasons you're like, yeah, I'm into it. I, I see it. And other times you're like, no, I think, we're, I think it's dead. And some of us have actually just let go of that hope entirely and said, you know, that's gone by the wayside. I'm just going to try to forget about that painful thing that's happened. And so when I say to you, bring that thing up right now, bring it up and put it before the Lord, because I believe that he wants to speak to you this morning about it, and he wants to speak to you through his word. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we go through this book of Ezra, written so many hundreds of years ago, God, that you would do something that goes beyond what's natural, beyond what just, just doing church, something where you're meeting with us and speaking to us about the things that have been destroyed and, and broken in our lives. And that you would move in a way that restores our hope and paints a picture of what you're doing in the midst of all this, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So yeah, Book of Ezra, I'm, I got five or six things. Uh, I'll just call, call them out if you're a note taker, but um, there's, a, there's a set of moments in this book that, that tell the story of how God works to rebuild these things in our lives. And the first one is this, the process. The first step in the process is it begins with God. It begins with God. Sometimes we get stuck in our heads the idea that our spiritual growth, that the things that we have to go through and grow in in our life, begin with our decision, begin with our own effort to go deeper or to face things or have courage or whatever it might be that we tell ourselves. But the reality is everything that God, that in our relationship with God in our life, that he starts, that he wants us to walk in is something that begins with him. Look at Ezra 1, 1. That's a good place to start, right? In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. You see, before it began, this moment, this, this time in history began a long time ago in the mind of God. Jeremiah prophesied 150 years before this that Zerubbabel would do this, that Cyrus would make this proclamation. It was written down by names 150 years before this happened, what was about to happen. See, the things that God wants to rebuild, those start with him stirring your spirit. Ezra 1.5 says, 
Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Listen, everything begins with God. John 6, 44, it says, No one can come to the Father except what? Except that he draws them. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. Listen, there is nothing that's happened in your life, good, bad, or otherwise, that hasn't begun with God in some way. The good things, even your desire to be here at church, even your desire to say yes to Jesus begins with him stirring your spirit to do so. God is the initiator and we are the responder. Don't get it in your head that this is up to you. Don't get it in your head that when you look at the brokenness and the heavy things in your life and you're like, I don't know what to do with these. Don't get it in your head that you have to figure that out. What we have to be sensitive to and waiting for is the stirring of our spirits by God himself because he has a plan. He has something that he wants to do. There are things that happen in life that leave ruins. And sometimes those ruins sit for a good long while until God begins to stir because he is not forgotten. And when it's time for you to look at these things again and start to work on them, it's because he's leading you to do so. And the second point is this. They made a beginning. They made a beginning. Ezra 3, verse 8. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. Have you heard that Chinese proverb that says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step? Mark Twain has this quote that says, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Sometimes when God begins to stir us and there's this thing that starts to happen, we turn and face the thing that's broken. We face those ruins and we have difficulty getting started. It requires us to have to make a decision, an act of will to begin the thing that God has begun to speak to us about. Can you imagine what it would be like to be faced with the task of rebuilding the dwelling place of Almighty God? Do you know anything about the first temple? Like this is an incredible one-of-a-kind building that's never been made before in the history of the world. It's full of craftsmanship and wealth and, and all this amazing stuff. And, and oh, by the way, the presence of God dwells there. And it gets destroyed. And you've been living in exile. And, and for Zerubbabel, he's never even seen this. And they come back to this plot of land that's covered in rock. It's been completely destroyed. And God's saying, I want you to rebuild. How daunting would that be standing on the edge of that plot? How difficult to take the first step because you're thinking, I don't know how this is going to happen. Ever had that feeling in your life? I don't know, I don't know how this is going to happen. Let me relate it to that project at your house or, or at your work or your car that you just keep walking by. You know, you keep coming up on it. Oh, yeah, well, we'll start that later. Because <laughs> if I start that, that means this and that means that. And it's going to be, you know, 
this tendency we have to avoid that first step. We have to watch out for the rationalizing of the laziness that might keep us from beginning something that God has asked us to begin. You see, that part of us that looks at the ruins and the brokenness and kind of turns away in disgust or, or despises that beginning needs to be addressed. Zechariah 4.10 says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Do you know what a plumb line is? It's the string with a heavy thing. You use gravity to make things level. And what he's saying here is he's saying, look, when you get to the edge of the thing that God has asked you to start rebuilding and it's daunting and difficult, remember and look up because Zerubbabel stood there and began to measure. And he took that first step. So don't despise that day of small beginnings when you're just taking those first early steps. Encourage yourself because God is the one who stirred you to do that. And you know inherently in it that he's going to walk with you through that thing. We must make a beginning. When you're looking at the brokenness in your marriage and all the things that have gone into it, all the history and the difficulty and the amount of stuff that you've got to work through, when you turn and face and you look at that thing, you're like, When, you, when you're looking at the brokenness in your family, the relationship with your parents, with your kids, all that stuff that has gone into it, and you have that feeling that God's stirring you to do something about it, maybe, make a beginning. Or when maybe God's speaking to you about something missional, about something in the world, there's some area of ministry or outreach that he's, that he's been stirring in your heart, and every time you turn to it, all you see is this, this massive mess of of chaos and brokenness, and it's hard for you to take that first step. Be encouraged this morning. This is the way God works. They made a beginning. Here's the next point. Next point. A mess of emotions. A mess of emotions. Look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. This is a moment when the foundation has been laid. It says, uh, And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Ezra 3.11 For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12 But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. There's a, uh, there's a meme that goes around where it's this little kid who starts out, uh, he's being interviewed by someone. I don't know if you've seen this, but the kid, he's just a little kid, and he starts out the interview, and he's like smiling and laughing, and then right in the middle of it, he just starts crying. You ever see that one? Anybody? No? He's like, have you ever had a kid who's really tired and you crack a joke and they're like, <laughs> you know, it's like this weird mashup of all these things. Well, it just reminded me of this. Because in the middle of them starting this effort and as, 
everyone coming back to this place of where there's been such pain and destruction in the past. At the, at the same, at one point you have all these, at the same time you have all these people shouting for joy at the new beginning and you also have all these people weeping as they come face to face with the great loss that is coming to the surface again. They're standing here looking at the foundation. They're remembering all these things that maybe they've been pushing aside or trying to forget. And it all comes rushing back in this mess of emotion of weeping and laughing and trying to work out what God is doing. Sometimes we think that saying yes to Jesus and starting our walk with him is sort of turns into this Hollywood narrative where everything from here on out is up and to the right, you know? We think that, you know, as we say yes to Jesus on something he's asking us to do, that this, you know, that Hollywood narrator comes on in a world, you know, dominated by confusion, an unlikely hero, you know, all this stuff. Like, like we're going to step into this perfectly, like, narrated thing where everything lines up and ends in this perfect resolution. The reality of life with God is that there's still messes. There's still going to be a mess of emotions as you face the thing that has so much pain to it and allow God to push you through it to begin to see the hope and the joy and the peace that he's rebuilding on the other side of it. The right process of rebuilding, the one that God initiated, the one that Jesus leads us through, requires you to go through that pain again. If you've taken that thing and packaged it up tight and shoved it deep and left it there and hoping it goes away. Listen, as soon as God starts to speak into you, one of the things you're going to have to do is bring that up and open it up again and go through it and watch God heal you as you step into the thing that he's rebuilding. It can be messy. It can be emotional. And it says the sound was heard from far away in that book, right? What people were hearing like, what the heck is that? There is this tumult of weeping and crying and all this emotion. Listen, as you go through the things of God, as you step into what he's asking you to do, things might get a little loud. They might get a little embarrassing. You're going to have a tumult of emotions that you're going to have to work through if you're going through the real things in life. So don't be afraid of that. Recognize it and walk through it. And God, knowing, knowing that what? It began with God. He's the one who started you on this journey And he's going to walk you all the way through. Here's the next one. Broken people are annoyed when others become whole. Broken people are annoyed and even angry when people start getting whole. Look at Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Here's my point. Expect any real progress any real progress toward new life and redemption in your life to be met with criticism and conflict and opposition. I wanted to take a minute just to focus on this to say, you need to expect that. 
that's what happens. That's the way of things. We live in a sinful world, and when you start moving in these ways, and some of those deep things begin to shift in your life, and God's moving, and there's things being rebuilt, people, well, I would say this, there's going to be these, this opposition both from people and from spiritual forces of darkness. Okay? Both of those things. We live in a world that's natural, and we live in a world that's spiritual. And anytime you start to move into these big things, there's opposition in both of those worlds. Okay? And let me just talk about some of the ways that people react. People feel threatened as relational dynamics change. I'll put it a different way. People are used to the old you. They're used to the way that things you relate and the, and the place you were in before, and they understood how to relate to you and how it was. And when you start shifting out of that place into a new state, the, the relationships start to change and people get uncomfortable and they're like, no, just stop. I don't like what's going on here. Here's another thing. When you start moving in these places, it highlights other people's sin and lack of progress. If two people are struggling with the same thing and one of them really starts to move out of it, the other one's feeling, what does it do? The other one suddenly is contrasted like, oh, I'm still sitting in it. And it makes them angry. And says, you know what? You need to stop doing that. Come back with me. And we'll have fellowship in our misery. Another thing that happens is that other people start to infer judgmentalism. You start changing and moving and responding to what God's doing. And they're like, oh, you think you're better than us? Oh, you think you're all... Anyone ever experienced that? I have. And the last thing that just jumped out at me is that some people and even spiritual forces, demons and and the, and the, the enemy of our souls, they have an evil desire just to squash good because it's good. Just because there's light and life and something new, they're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come against that. I'm going to try to stomp that out. That light, and it's the little light that's starting to burn in that person's, I'm going to stomp it just because I hate it. Their goal is fear and frustration. It says it made them afraid to build, and there was, there was counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. And you know what? They can be relentless. Relentless. It says... All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, these people did this to them. And and even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, they just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. I'm saying this because you need to expect this and be ready for it as soon as you start to move into things God has for you. Don't be taken aback by it. 1 Peter 4 says, Why are you surprised at the fiery trial that's happening to you, as if something strange were happening. You know, whatever it is you're going through, you need to expect that and look for it. Here's the next one. Progress and setbacks. Progress and setbacks. See, even with the opposition they were experiencing, they were still making progress until verse 21. Ezra 4, verse 21. People had been sending letters to the king trying to get him to stop. And in verse 21, he says, Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city not be rebuilt until the decree is made by me. Oh, man. Can you imagine? You ever been in this place? Let me just use the example of marriage. Right? If you've been married any length of time, you know that there's seasons of your marriage where you feel like pretty close. 
Other seasons where you feel like we're not on the same page right now. And when you've been in those places of real difficulty in your marriage and you finally come to the place where you're like both willing to work on it and come together and you get started and there's like this, oh, okay, things are shifting. This is going to be good. And there's some movement and there's some opposition. And then, you, and then something big hits you again. And there's this big setback. That can be the most defeating moment ever. Maybe you're working through an addiction. Maybe you're working through something that God is really trying. And you make progress, and then there's this huge setback, and you find yourself sitting there more discouraged than you've ever been. You know, we summarize, you know, if you've been around church, you know, you, you start learning about these history things, about the temple being built and then destroyed, and the first temple and the second temple. We tend to summarize these things. We just say, yeah, the second temple was rebuilt. That's like our summary of it. But there, is, there are people in here. There's, there's lifetimes. There's generations. There's all this struggle that has gone into this. There's an incredible start and mixed emotions and opposition. And here we see the setback. Because what happened when this decree came out? What did Zerubbabel do? He stopped. He fell off the wagon. He had a major setback. And, and I, at best I can work out the timelines, it was like three to four years of them doing nothing. After all that effort, after everything came through, them doing nothing. Recognize in the real world, progress is never linear. Uh, my daughter's special needs, right? Eden, and she, she struggles physically. And we, we constantly have to remind ourselves that the progress in her life is not linear. There's times where she's really advancing and doing some new things, and maybe she'll grab something and put it in her mouth or whatever. She takes a bite of her own food. She's pretty limited. And then the next week, all of a sudden, she's like, can't do any of that stuff. And we're like, what is going on? Recognizing that progress isn't linear. Don't get it in your head that as God asks you to move into these things, that suddenly if, you've, if you have a tr- or you get derailed and things are not, and there's a huge setback, that's not because God has abandoned you. That's not because the process is over. This is the way things go oftentimes. And God knows that about you. He knows that about your life. He knows your tendencies and your patterns and your personality and your ways of thinking. And he will not give up on you. So if you're sitting in a place where you're in a major setback, recognize this, see this, and feel this. Don't lose hope. The physical and emotional and spiritual environments we live in mean that there will be setbacks. But don't lose hope. God is at work, and he's coming to your aid. Just a couple more here. The next point is this. A word from God. A word from God. Ezra chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Zerubbabel, everyone's just sitting there doing nothing, just living their life. And this happens. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Did the decree of the king change? No, nothing changed. Circumstantially, outside, nothing changed. What changed? 
a word from God. Zerubbabel, fearful and frustrated, stopped working for even a number of years. And then this word from God came. They heard from God in his mercy and grace. Imagine being God and and prophesying through Jeremiah and calling this person by name, Zerubbabel, I've chosen you. You're my signet ring. I've got this plan. My kingdom is coming. The temple is going to be rebuilt. You're going to be in the lineage of Jesus. And he's going through all this stuff. And then Zerubbabel sits down. Have you ever sat down on God? Have you ever thrown in the towel? I have. But what do we see here? God in his mercy isn't giving up. He's sending encouragement. He's sending a word from him to Zerubbabel to say, get up, man. Get up. Let's go. There's work to be done. God was committed to Zerubbabel, and he's committed to you. Even in all your shortcomings and your sinfulness at times and all that stuff. Man, what we need is a word from God. I'm I can't share too many details of this, but I've been going through this kind of process the past six months and with somebody else, and it's kind of resulting in a, a legal thing, and it's, it's been very difficult for me. And there was, a, there was a phase of it where I was really struggling with anger. Um, I, I know you guys never get angry or anything like that, but I was really having a hard time. And, uh, and it just, just anger and injustice and, like, all this stuff, and um, I was struggling with it. And... And two different people from two different cities called with the same eight verses from the Psalms and said, this is a word from God for you. Repetition and specificity, right? I'm like, this is the Lord. Same eight verses, two different people, two different cities. This is, God, this is what God's saying to you. And I just read through them and managed to hit my spirit and I, everything reset inside myself. Nothing circumstantially changed, but my relationship to that reality totally changed. Because I heard from God. I had a word from him that set me free to be at peace and recognize his purpose and just to keep moving forward and keep working on stuff. What we need is a word from God, right? See, God could have given up on Zerubbabel. He could have said, look, I've given you every opportunity. I've led you. I prophesied. What are you doing next? Okay, who else wants to help? He didn't do that. There is no substitute for hearing a word from God that speaks to a specific situation. I just gave you an example of me receiving one of those words. Let me give you an example of me giving one. I was, uh, our family likes to go rock climbing sometimes as a family, and so we were up on uh, Donner Pass area, just out in the woods out there on this little cliff we we found. And um, uh, the, the van was way up elevation, and so I sent my family down elevation, and I just took the... It's dad life, right? I'll go uphill, you know what I'm saying? You know, so I just cross-countryed it, and I'm up in the mountains. And as I'm walking through the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden I almost step on this really nice drone that someone had lost. I don't know how long ago, right? This beautiful, expensive um, Mavic drone. It's, it, anyway, I, I picked it up, and I was like, thank you, God. You know, like, this is, the boys are going to love this thing. You know, I knew how expensive it was, you know. And so I truck back to the car. I'm like, you guys, I found a drone. And uh, long story short, I was looking through the footage on this thing. And um, I saw there was this shot of this church sign 
in there, and I was like, what's this? And I, I was able to trace this thing back to a church in Reno, and this saw this other guy. Long story, I found the owner of the drone, and, uh, and I was really praying that I wouldn't, but <laughs> my boys were too. But I was like, guys, come on, you know, we got to give it back to him if we can. So anyway, I end up in this parking lot. So I, I, I get a call from this guy and I set it up with him. I'm going to meet him at In-N-Out Burger. He's driving from Reno to get his drone. And I, I finish the phone call. I'm rocking my daughter to sleep. And all of a sudden, God starts to give me a word for this guy that I'm going to meet tomorrow. I'm like, my reaction, I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. My reaction is like, oh, come on. Like, I'm kind of a busy, tired person sometimes. I was like, no, not another thing to the pile. Like, I just want to sleep, man. But God was speaking to me. And, and I kind of wrestled with it. And the next morning at the right time, I drove over there. And this guy's like, hey, so I really appreciate I handed this drone. He's like, you didn't have to do this. I, thank you so much. And this whole thing. And I'm just having this little internal fight. You know what I'm saying? I was like, Okay. I was like, listen, I, I, believe that, um, I believe that God wanted me to find this drone. You know what happens when you cross that line socially? You know what I'm saying? He's all, like this look in his eye, you know what I'm saying? And I just gave him this word about God's love for him and his pursuit of him. And even he, knows, he, he went and sought him out even though he was lost. And like, this whole thing, I just laid him on it in, this, in the parking lot. And... Uh, I just felt like the Lord was, was pleased. He was speaking to this guy, and the guy was obviously taken aback by it and didn't know what to say, um, but I just said, you know, he's going to show you what that's about, and you just, just look out because he loves you. And it was a word from God for him. I am confident that it changed his day and his week and maybe his life. Um, and so my point is this. A word from God is what we need. And most often, although not all the time, most often that word comes from other people. Hear where I'm going with this? What that means is that you need to be willing to give someone a word from God that they need to hear. Because they might be sitting in the middle of a setback, and what they need is the thing that God told you to tell them. They need you. And it's a little scary and a little weird, and I get it. That, guy, that look on that guy's face, that awkward moment, I was like, yeah, this is uncomfortable. But people need, people need you to be uncomfortable. They need to hear from God. And oftentimes, he speaks through each other. And at the same time, you need to be willing to receive a word from someone who's coming to you with that. Don't take it at face value. Always test it and think about it. But man, be open to hearing from the Lord through other people. And if it's someone that you don't really like who's giving you a word, just remember that God spoke through a donkey one time, so you can take it, all right? <laughs> the last thing is this, wholeness. Wholeness. Ezra 6, verse 15. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. It took 23 years. I'm just going to say that again. It took 23 years. We live in a microwave culture, folks. 
took 23 years, but God rebuilt that thing. There was a generation of people that got exiled and came back, and maybe they died in the process before it got finished. There were some that saw the second temple come. I'm just saying it crossed generations. What God's plan was started with some people and ended with other people. But there was wholeness. I don't want us to get stuck in the idea. Sometimes we can settle in this fact that like, oh, since the fall, since there's so much sin and junk in this world, nothing's ever going to be good. I just got to wait till heaven. Sometimes we can make an excuse for ourselves by using that kind of thinking that sounds like spiritual and like theological, but in fact, it's just an excuse for us not taking the first step. The kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming. The scriptures are a set of stories, not only of God's theological plans and cosmic power, but of him working in the lives of real people to bring wholeness and bring change and redemption in real life during people's lifetimes. Miracles. Things that people said could never happen. And yet God was in it and he was speaking and he was stirring. God can and will bring wholeness and completion to the brokenness in your life. Don't tell yourself excuses about that. He can and will, and we guard ourselves against the discouraging thought that nothing will ever be good in this life because when you get enough pain in your heart, when you get enough things that have been broken and lost and you begin to pack those away, you, you begin to have this reaction to think nothing will ever be good again. 23 years of God's faithfulness, you guys. Let me wrap it up. Conclusion. Matthew, chapter 1, name after name after name after name. Zerubbabel. We just zoomed in on that and looked at this process of all the things that it meant for that thing to happen, that rebuilding of the temple facing that brokenness. One name, an entire lifetime, a process that they went through. You are one name. You are, you are a lifetime in the long span of history, and yet God is telling a story through your life. And he wants you to come to the brokenness that you felt, the brokenness that you feel, and he wants to rebuild. He wants you to hold on to that thread of hope during your exile, during the stirring, during that first step, during the process of crazy emotions and the process of setbacks. He wants you to do that, and he's going to give you a word that you can hang on to. He will restore. Listen, you might, you might be a broken dish, and when people come up to you, they can see the seams and the repair, but the seams are golden. And somehow, in some crazy way that only God does, the, the rebuilt thing is more beautiful than the original. And everyone who comes up to look at it says, what the heck? How is, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, they start to sense the kingdom of God in your life as you've gone through the process of rebuilding. Don't let go of that thread of hope. We're taking communion again this morning, and the temple was this metaphor. Jesus' life 
Wait, let me just stop before I say that. Was it God's will to build the temple? The original one? Yeah. He wanted that to happen. Why did it get destroyed? Anybody? Sin. The people of God walked away. And God allowed the temple that he designed, that he wanted built, to be destroyed and then be rebuilt. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And we have sin, right? Jesus is a broken body. That's what this thing means. Jesus is a God-man. The Son of God who came. This perfect, amazing thing that was God's will. And what did he allow to happen at the end of Jesus' life? He allowed that to be broken. Why? So you and I could be rebuilt. So we could experience the redemption in our own life of this thing coming together. So in this context, as we look at hope in the face of brokenness, let's take the body of Christ. And now, the juice, the representation of Jesus' blood spilled. That takes our sin. All the things that have come, all the pain, all our shortcomings that have separated us from God, he's done it. Let's partake. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we've taken a moment to look inside your word, to consider this history that is also our present, God, that you'd meet people in their brokenness, who are looking again at the ruins in their life. And I pray that you would come now and restore hope. Even in the lineage of Jesus, even in the story of your redemption, all of this process, this very real, very difficult, but very amazing process, come speak your hope to us. God, you sent... There was, this, there was this night where you decided, this holy night where you decided to send this child, this beautiful, perfect creation into the brokenness of our world. And Jesus, we say we worship you and we love you. Amen.